Hey everybody, welcome to Hints and Guesses, my podcast, Kent here. Thanks for tuning in, thanks for listening. I want to make a podcast today called When We Are Lost. Maybe it's because I feel a little lost at the moment, and if you've been listening for a while, you know that I just moved to Georgia with my wife and kids, and um, we're living here kind of in between, living with family at the moment. My uh, father-in-law had a stroke last year, and that was at least part of the reason for being here, but also our own hopes and dreams and imagination as a family for this, I don't know, next season. And, and, of, and of course, there's always a difference between what we imagine and the facts on the ground. So I'm in that kind of place. And, and maybe more than that, I don't know, feelings of lostness are, are pretty common in this spiritual life. Though we avoid them, I mean, for, for obvious reasons. We come up with a million strategies and techniques to, um, I don't know, to, to avoid that kind of feeling. And so that's what I want to talk about today. And I want to read some things that, that help me. And, and maybe in part, I want to remind myself of, of a few things. And at the very least, if you're feeling a little lost, and maybe I'll say what I mean by that. I'll try to at least. Yeah, you're you're not alone in that. And, um, you know, welcome to a dimension of being human. And yeah, so that's kind of the, that's the course I've, I've charted here today. And uh, yeah, maybe I'll just um, say I've got a few things coming up. So a couple of, a couple of ads, I suppose. Um, yeah, I'm now a guide at Animus Valley Institute and I have my first program here in a couple weeks in, in Joshua Tree and it's full. Um, so I'm a co-guide for this program, really looking forward to it. It's a wild mind program. That's where I started with Animus. And so I really, really, uh, can't wait for that. There might be a wait, waiting list. I'm not sure if that interests you. And I have another, um, intensive coming up in July, uh, a soul craft intensive. And this is July 10 through 14, not too far from uh, Telluride, just an absolutely amazing place. I've been there before. Um, yeah. And that's, uh, yeah, I'll be co-guiding that as, as well. So, uh, all those details are on Animus Valley Institute's website. So you can, you can check that out. Um, maybe one more thing. I mean, I'll probably roll out a few other things between now and then, but just in terms of programs, I want to put a couple things on your radar in case you want to join me out in the wild world. So those were two animus programs and I'll be speaking August four at Denver community church. I've been there a bunch. My buddy, Michael's a pastor there and um, I will do a retreat before or after or both. <laughs> I haven't nailed down all the details um, around August four. So and it'll be not too far from Denver, a um, couple of hours, far enough so you can get out of the kind of the Denver day traffic going into the mountains in the summer. So um, anyway, that that's coming up. I'll, I'll put those on my website when I know. If you, if you live in that area and you want to just, you know, um, 
if, if you have some interest in joining me, you can send me an email. Pilgrimage at gmail is my email address for um, retreats and programs. So anyway, that's coming up. I, sh- I also um, want to thank my, my patrons who make this podcast possible. Thanks. I, I a few new ones joined in the last month, so I really want to thank you and welcome you. And um, yeah, your support means a lot. And, and in March, I'm going to have a gathering, an online Zoom just for patrons, and we can discuss whatever you want and things that have, you know, that you're thinking about or, or stuff that the podcast kind of uh, drags up for you. And let's, let's have a, a, a have a online conversation about that. I've done it once before. It's great. So, um, yeah. And, um, and the, the patrons too, there's through the Patreon website, there's a kind of back and forth and, and oftentimes I get ideas from, from patrons. So keep those up, keep them coming my way. In fact, my, um, little shorter podcast, which I'm calling eat this scroll just came out of a conversation with my patrons. So, um, anyway, it's, I'm hoping that community will continue to grow and really am grateful for, for all those support. So um, maybe that's enough in terms of uh, gratitude and some things that I have coming up uh, in the summer. Um, okay, let's get into it now. And uh, first, I, I want to offer some caveats here at the beginning, because just saying um, or calling something, calling this podcast when we're lost, it kind of m- makes it sound like, well, now I'm going to tell you how to not get lost. And I'm probably not going to do that. <laughs> and, and also maybe in a more simple sense that I would like to describe some possibilities like lostness that has a certain flavor to it and some possibilities that might arise within it. I'm, I'm not really trying to be prescriptive here. And I don't know the path for you. Um, but I'll try to describe the path for me and, and, or the path described by the poets and, and mystics and teachers who, who know what it's like to be lost in a particular kind of way. And, um, and, and maybe here's another caveat too. Um, sometimes we're lost because we're just neglecting something very basic. Like we might feel stuck or lost and, and really what's happening is that we're neglecting a task or two. In fact, I mean, James uh, Hollis says that depression, uh, most, most, uh, readily comes into our lives when we're neglecting a task. Now, it could be a series of tasks that are very concrete that we're somewhat aware of, or they could be tasks that are hidden from our view in some way, and sort of like the tasks of the soul, for example, and or the tasks of the true self, you know, this that makes it more existentially challenging. But that is at least worth saying that um, sometimes we feel lost because we're neglecting something. And that's often a question I ask myself, even now, like, you know, being in a new place, a new land, a new environment, new house, new relationships. Um, <clears throat> I, I miss, you know, some, my, my friends, my contacts, the entire support network I had uh, in, in Michigan. And, and I sometimes have to ask the most basic question, like when I f- feel low or 
you know, confused about the next step. Is, is there something, is there a task that I know I'm neglecting that if, that if I did, um, there would at least be some movement. And so I think that's worth, worth just mentioning here at the beginning. And, but other times I think our, our lostness is, is more existential and, um, more potent and in some ways more scary and, and sometimes it can feel like, I don't know who I am, or I don't know how I got here. Did I choose this? Did I not? What is happening? And, and I, in a sense, I, I want to talk a little bo- bit more about that dimension, the kind of lostness that feels a little more existential. And, but they're not, you know, these aren't unrelated fields, of course our own deepest questions and longings and, and um, desire for meaning is also connected to the ordinary and the daily and the, just the, the basic tasks of living a life. And um, so I'll, I'll try not to separate them out too much. You know, maybe another way of saying is that perhaps it's always both. Perhaps there, the soul makes its demands on us and, pulls us into a kind of existential lostness and at the same time we have some real basic tasks that need tending to so um maybe as a way of kind of summarizing my my caveats here i I was thinking about one of the greatest privileges that that i've had in the last few years is meeting with people in a one-on-one setting which i call companion guiding and it's 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 kind of like mentoring and um, but really mirroring, listening, coming alongside, those are the phrases that best describe it. And, and I've been doing it for, I'm not sure how long, um, maybe six years or so, ever since I started my, my training at Animus. And it's funny because, uh, you know, when I was a pastor, that is a part of being a pastor, uh, you know, meeting with people, people want to talk with you about various things. And, and I had some resistance to it for all kinds of reasons that are were my own hangups really. And, um, but as soon as I kind of stepped out of that role, then I found myself actually not only doing it, but really enjoying it. It's such a valuable, uh, part of, part of my work in the world. And Jung says something interesting about the relationship between the analyst and the analysand to sound fancy. And I'm not a, an, an analyst. I mean, I, I, I've been to analyst to Jungian analysis, and I'm not claiming to be a Jungian analyst, but I'm just using it analogously anyway. And um, he says, you know, it's working with when both parties are changed. And that's, that's a profound statement. And that's really antithetical to most counseling therapy, even healing practices that uh, are common in our world where, you know, the, the, the therapist is this kind of like neutral, unmoved observer. And, and anyway, he, he says in analysis, that's not really what happens. And both parties are kind of mysteriously and alchemically changed in the process. And I feel that in, when I'm, when I'm working with people, I learn much more about the spiritual life just by listening than sort of, uh, you know, by pulling from my own experience or, you know, offering a bunch of quotes or readings or things like that. I'm changed by meeting with people and, Maybe that's a that's a really long winded 
way of saying something that I want to be direct about, which is um, the spiritual life is wildly diverse and, and lostness is diverse. And, and the, the course that we might be called to is wild and unique and has twists and turns that only you can go on. And I've learned that from listening to so many different people over the last few years. And, and yet there are patterns, there are patterns. And so those two things can go side by side. Here's a interesting part about living here in Georgia. I'm right next to a train track and there's the train. <laughs> this is like part of my, um, my um, day world and night world life. You know, there's something like five to 10 trains a day that come by. And, uh, anyway, thought I'd, I'd invite you into it because <laughs> there's not much I can do about it. So, um, okay, that was, those were my caveats. So here's where I want to begin. I've got three dimensions. I want to I talk about um, the dark woods. I want to talk about sincerity. And I want to talk about standing still. And you'll see what I mean. And so here's, here's the opening quotation from Dante. And this is from Dante's Inferno is really psychological and spiritual masterpiece, medieval masterpiece, um, often misunderstood and uh, literalized at least by many, many people and, um, or dismissed as kind of a, an ex extended fantasy on, on hell, but it's really like, um, well, what's, what is the underworld like? And, um, what is, what is the spiritual path like? What is descent and return like? What is death and resurrection like? These are, these are the, um, the questions behind the, um, this evocative extended poem, really. Anyway, here's how it begins. In the middle of my life, I entered a dark wood having lost the path or having lost the way. And what a profound and simple way of putting it. Like, and this is kind of pre-psychology. This is pre-Jung saying there's the first half of life and second half of life. You know, there's, this is um, pre uh, uh you know, stages of any sort, stages of faith and, um, you know, uh, kind of psychological sophistication. Before, before that, there were myths and stories and poems and mystics and saints and healers and shamans and who knew what the path was like and described it in kind of poetic way. And so in the middle of my life, I entered a dark wood having lost the way. And maybe I just want to say a couple things about that. The first is that he's describing not not the beginning of life, not not our kind of adolescent or late adolescent awakening to the world itself and to our place. Like, where do I belong in the world? Where do I belong in the world of social relationships? Where do I belong in the world of of jobs and marketplace and economy and and love affairs and um social networks and community and those are all critically important to 
to sound fancy, to, to our own ego growth, to our own ego development in, a, in the healthiest sense of that and to ego growth, to a sense of self. This is who I am in the world. This is how I show up in the world. These are my people and um, this is the work that I'm committed to and the work that I'm gifted to to help bring forward. And And then we enter the forest. We enter the dark wood. We enter a time, a season, a a kind of geography, a kind of psychological and spiritual geography or terrain that is um, unsatisfied with the life we've built, with the house we've built, with the first house of belonging. And, and that's the kind of lostness I think Dante is describing. So I've, in other words, we've had a few successes and, and maybe a few failures along the way. And, um, and all of a sudden, here we are again. And maybe here we are for the first time, really, in a asking <clears throat> some more difficult and challenging questions about who we're called to be in the world and where we stand in the world. And, and what, to a certain extent, we, we know we're in this place um, when it feels like we can't go backwards, like, we can't just redo the first half like I need a better church or I need a, um, you know, a, a more understanding partner or uh, my, I'm going to swap out my social relationship for, for something else and, or, or I went to school for the wrong thing and I'm going to go to school for the right thing and we'll just um, hit restart. Now, you might do any of those things. I'm not, I'm not against those, but... Um, I don't think that's what Dante is really, really getting at here. And it's like in the Princess Bride, when, when they reach the swamp, they have to go through it. They cannot go around it. You know, they, the, the, that's the only way is to enter more fully and deeply into that kind of, of lostness and really that kind of darkness, because he calls it a dark wood. It's not what used to light the way, what used to light the path. I know who I am. I know what I'm up to. I know my people. I know my family. I know what's important. That light has gone out. Some god in the night snuffed it out. And, and here we are. And, and I want to say something just briefly about darkness because um, every once in a while I, I get a little pushback from, from people like, Wait, why, why does it have to be dark, you know? Why, why does spiritual growth, the path, have to involve dark? Can it be light? Can it be um, optimism and enthusiasm? And, and I, I get the kind of um, emotional reaction to talking about darkness and the abyss and the, avoid, and the void and um, existential longing and whatever, those are, you know, these are a few of my favorite things. They don't have to be a few of your favorite things. And, and I get that. And so there's a little resistance and, but darkness isn't the way I use it. Isn't necessarily, um, negative. It's just dark. It's, it's what we don't know. It's what we can't see. We can't see very well. That's the point. And it's like a cloud of, of darkness keeps us from seeing what's right around the corner. And yeah, it's more like that. And, and darkness is a lovely place for things to hide. And 
And it takes a, a certain kind of courage to wander in that kind of darkness. And what might the darkness hold? Well, um, might hold both positive and negative dimensions of our own psyche, for example. Dimensions of our of our of who we are that up to this point are underused, unknown, untapped, repressed, ignored, that now want attention. In other words, I'll be even more simple. Um, our gifts. Our gifts are just as likely to hide in the darkness as our wounds. And of course, those two things are often holding hands in some way. And, and so I'm not saying that it's easy, but I'm not saying darkness is necessarily negativity. Um, it's just what we don't know. And, and, and even when you look at the, uh, I just thought of a line from Merton. He says, I've seen the day and the night and the night is better. You know, this is someone who's, who's spent time, who's reached the middle of, of his life and having lost the way and, and it's time to enter the woods. And, and he's, he knows something about its quality that's surprising, which is that, in his words, it's better. Now, I don't, we don't need to make those like better or worse distinctions. I think he's being um, poetic here. And, but there's some truth, of course, in what he's saying. And, you know, even God in the, in the Hebrew Bible hides in the cloud, you know, is unknown. That, you know, the... I don't know if, how familiar you are with uh, the Hebrew the Hebrew Bible or the, the the tent that they carried around or the temple itself and but part of part of what was required of the priests was to burn incense this particular kind of incense and let it fill up the most inner sanctum because God dwells in a cloud and and in darkness it it no one can look directly into the face of the mystery so to speak and and so the cloud is that envelops us is a kind of necessary cloud for us to go deeper and, and really for a, a, a new kind of intimacy to emerge with the mystery or with God or with the divine. Like in, the, in the, the book, The Cloud of Unknowing, it's like, well, we think we know until we don't. And then, and then God descends in a cloud and, and the process of, of unknowing whatever we think we know up to this point is kind of slow unraveling is is just part of the process and 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 it can have a kind of sweetness to it like in the in the hebrew scriptures it says i think it's in the psalms but it's referring back to the time when the the jewish people were wandering in the wilderness that we ate honey from the rock and it's that kind of paradox. It's like there's a kind of sweetness hidden in what's difficult and in, in what's a bit scary and what is unknown. And it's there we learn what manna tastes like when we're hungry or what honey tastes like when we're up against a rock, you know. Um, it's that kind of thing. And so I don't know what's my point right now that this is just a normal process of growing up psychologically and spiritually. It's like, I wish it was another way. And, 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 um, though it's dark, it can be sweet. It's also a little like falling in love. Now, a friend of mine said not that long ago, you know, he was we're talking about his, his most serious 
um, descent really into the underworld early in his life. And he said, but it really felt more like falling in love than what other people, you know, describe, which may be like angst or, or fear and, and, but it's still a falling. <laughs> That's the great thing. I, it's, you know, cliches, they always Im embed some kind of mysterious truth, like falling in love is falling. You know, it's like, we don't know who we are in part. It throws us down in some way. Okay, here's the second piece that I want to talk about, and that is sincerity. So when we're lost, um, it's a little like being in a cloud, and it's a little dark, and, well, what kind of posture can we take? And um, I'm really am drawn to the word sincerity lately or being sincere. I think it's a better word in many respects than authenticity because authenticity, you know, it's like, it's kind of a, a drum that people like me and others often, you know, beat. It's like, yeah, choose what's authentic, but we often don't, don't know what that is really. It's uh, there can be just as much exertion of the will or the ego or even a complex trying to be authentic. And, but sincerity is, well, in Latin, it means pure, really, or clean in some way. And, or maybe here's a better way of saying it, free from pretense. Like, yeah, wouldn't it be lovely to be free of pretense? And I want to say that's, that's probably the most important ingredient when we feel this kind of lostness. I'm talking to myself right now. Yeah, what really is true as best we can tell without pretense, without caveat, without um, stumbling over ourselves um, or talking ourselves out of our own kind of very simple intuitions and feelings and sense for things, just being sincere. And I want to read you a, a little passage from Merton. This is, I use this passage at the very end of my, my book, um, bitten by a camel so i mean it's, it's not like it's um that unfamiliar of a passage but you may have may have heard it before or seen it in my book but anyway here it is he says uh it's a prayer really my lord god i have no idea where i'm going <laughs> i have no idea where i'm going i do not see the road of head ahead of me so this is someone who knows the the dark woods here and I cannot know for certain where it will end, nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I am following your will does not mean that I am actually doing so. What a raw and honest thing to say. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. Now think about that as a... Um, a prayer without pretense. I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope that I, I hope I have that desire in all that I'm doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. I, I hear a certain amount of faith in, in, in longing and in desire. You know, desire gets a bad rap and, in um, I don't know, in Christianity more, more generally. But 
you know, and of course our, our, our desires, you know, our instincts can, can go awry or can, um, dominate our, our consciousness in, in unhealthy ways. And, but there's also something very beautiful and more subtle and more rich beneath the surface, which is what we're really longing for. And, and here Merton is saying, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what the hell I'm doing, but I have the desire. I have a longing to please you or, and to walk in that way. And what a, what a straightforward thing to say. And, and then he says, and I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. <laughs> Therefore, I will trust you. I will trust you always, though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death. I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. What I hear in this passage is sincerity. The sincere desire to align oneself with the mystery of God, that's what he's describing, or whatever you might fill in the blank. What are your most sincere desires? Just your pure, straightforward desires for for your own life and um, and to trust, to trust that there is, to trust that sincerity in that sense it might lead you down a path you know nothing about, as he says. It might lead you down a road that you can't see, but a kind of strange mystery meets you halfway. And um, there's a kind of withness here. Like Isaiah the prophet, his description of God is, is Emmanuel, which is God with us. It's like there's a, there's a coming together of, in the cloud perhaps, of the mystery and the mystery's aims for who we are and what's meaningful in life and, and our own longings and hopes and desires were met on this unknown road in the dark wood, having lost the way. And maybe one more piece here. Um, and that, and that, that's a, a poem here from David Wagner. And maybe I'll just read it to begin with. And I, I won't make many comments here along the way, but here's what he says. He says, stand still. So now we're getting into, well, what do you do when you're lost? Uh, so far, I've tried to say it's pretty normal. And in a way, it's, it's a it's the pathway to a deepening of who we are. And it comes after a few successes and after a few adolescent hopes and dreams have run their course. And, and I've tried to say that being sincere and is an important ingredient for uh, how to be in the, in the darkness here. And, and here... Uh, Wagner says, and what do you do when you're lost? Do you uh, stand still? Stand still. The trees ahead and the bushes behind, the bushes behind you are not lost. 
the trees ahead and the bushes behind you are not lost. Wherever you are is called here. <laughs> and you must treat it as a powerful stranger. You know, this is the line that, that came to me in the last couple days. Like, I don't really know what I'm doing here. I'll be honest. I don't really know. I don't really know. I know why I say I moved here. <laughs> but I don't, now that I'm here, I'm here. And I don't really know it's like a powerful stranger here is a powerful stranger he says and you must treat it as a powerful stranger must ask permission to know it and be known ask permission of the here with a capital h e r e capital h a here ask permission to know it and to be known the forest breathes, listen. It answers, I have made the place around you. You know, this is the, the, hidden, and and the, the hidden language of the forest itself. Jung says that um, nature, by the way, is an incomparable guide if you know how to follow her. That's a line from Jung. Nature is an incomparable guide if you know how to follow her. She is like the needle of the compass pointing north and Wagner knows a little how this compass works, and he's saying that the forest is speaking. He says, if you leave it, if you leave this place, you may come back again, saying here. No two trees are the same to raven. No two trees are the same to raven. No two branches are the same to wren. If what a tree or a branch does is lost on you, you are surely lost. I think that's a little comment just on our mechanized, modern, sophisticated, technocratic economy, war-worshipping machine in which you and I forget what a tree or a branch does. It's lost on us and we feel even more lost. And so then he says, stand still again. Stand still. The forest knows where you are and you must let it find you. I think um, he's speaking in a paradoxical way. He's speaking symbolically about how to be when we're lost and that What's often asked is, is for us to stand still and rather than run and rush and move and manifest and make happen. And, you know, when it's, you know, in a strange kind of uh, silly, kind of embarrassing way, when I'm anxious, I speed up. You know, I don't know what I'm doing, so I'm going to do it faster, you know. <laughs> so this line really you know, cuts to the core here, stand still right now, stand still. The forest knows where you are and you must let it find you. And, and he is speaking symbolically about how to be in this kind of existential, dark, cloudy woods that I've been trying to speak about. But I also think he's being quite literal. 
like, go to the forest. Nature is an incomparable guide. Go lean your back against a tree that was here before you were born and will be here when you die. Go put your toes in the river that is ever flowing toward the sea, in which one day the remaining particles of your physical body will make their way into the ground, into the earth, and into the soil, and into the fissures, into the in the rocks and the and the underground rivers and streams, and you'll join the ocean, and only to be caught up again in the clouds, in the mystery of the cycle of the way things are. Stand still, the forest knows where you are. You are as much a part of the wild world as anything else. You're as natural as anything in nature. The great lie of the modern world is that there's the natural world and then there's us. You know, that somehow we're, we know that. Like, I'm not saying anything to you that you don't already know, but there's a difference between knowing it and experiencing it. And he's saying, yeah, when you're lost, stand still. And when you're lost, go to the forest and stand still. Let it speak its ancient language to you. Let the powerful stranger that knows much more about belonging um, uh, whisper into your ear. Doesn't tell you how to get out. Doesn't tell you how to be found. It just simply um, is. And it invites us into being here now with the world. Something like that. So I'll just read the final lines of this poem one more time and maybe I'll just read the whole thing and let it do its work. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. I hope you hear a hint, a guess, a clue. Stand still. The trees ahead and the bushes behind you are not lost. Wherever you are is called here and you must treat it as a powerful stranger must ask permission to know it and be known. The forest breathes. Listen. It answers. I have made the place around you. If you leave it, you may come back again saying, here. No two trees are the same to raven. No two branches are the same to wren. If what a tree or a branch is lost on you, you are surely lost. Stand still. The forest knows where you are. You must let it find you.